Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Silver Stream on Soho Radio. I'm Byzantia Harlow, creator and host, and for today's episode, Apathenia, I'm joined by guest collaborator, artist Candida Powell Williams. the idea of the container or sacred space, I believe we have all the answers we need within us. In The Archetype of Initiation by Robert L. Moore, published in 2001, he states, I quote, thus the possibility for the regeneration of the world occurs through tears in the fabric of ordinary profane space. Eliad calls such a tear a hierophany or manifestation of the sacred. He also uses the term kratophony, manifestation of power, which essentially refers to the same thing. When the sacred erupts, it detaches its nearby territory from the territory surrounding it, and a new point of orientation is revealed. A centre is needed to get in touch with such regenerative powers. Jungians refer to this fixed point on a centre as the archetypal self. Ancient individuals found the centre through ritual, and they often projected it on physical locations. Where no sign manifests itself, one is often provoked, using what is called geomancy. Um... Archaeological excavations show that people often perceived a place as sacred over hundreds and thousands of years through the overlapping of many different cultures. Once sacred space is formed, boundaries form as well. The boundary is the threshold between the sacred and the profane. And I think this is a boundary we're kind of both interested in, in a way, or similar boundaries. Um, Looking for truths and answers in external locations can be very dangerous, though. And this is certainly the allure of tarot and psychics or any other form of divination which can offer insight into unanswered questions. I always encourage clients to develop their own intuition and won't read for people who I can tell are engaging in an addictive way, which a lot are. Um, There's a fine line between the tarot as a transformative space and a holding space which keeps people trapped within the energy of searching for answers or a glimpse of the future, all the while avoiding their present realities. For example, within the genre of YouTube pick a card readings, um, these videos kind of promise a form of empowerment all the while trapping the viewer in an endless loop of how does he feel about me playlists. 
from the comments section, you can see the regular viewers who've been watching for literally years begin to become disillusioned by this, knowing they've been watching until they got the right answer or the answer they wanted to hear, seduced by the perfect mix of spiritual advice, self-care, amateur psychoanalysis and answers, a sticky sweet trap for the heartbroken. I've got a long-term project relating to this, as I mentioned, called Take What Resonates, which involved me having these reg regular psychic readings and tarot readings about a particular aspect of my love life for a year. And I basically took the advice of psychics for 12 months in all matters of the heart, as well as having a lot of spell work done for me by all kinds of witches and magic practitioners. My work is characterized by intensive research like this with very blurry boundaries. Amongst a lot of inaccurate readers, I discovered a few very accurate readers as they could usually tell I was like psychic myself or I'd been a professional tarot reader in the past, which I was like 15 years ago. Um, and some even picked up on the fact that I'd made my own deck of tarot for an earlier work called Lunar Water um, and that I was conducting research, although I used like a different name, different email account, different card to pay for it, everything. Um, I'm going to edit all of the predictions that came to pass within the 12 month period into a work called Take What Resonates, which is a popular message from within the online fortune telling general reads, meaning only listen to the messages that seem true to you, which is usually what you want to hear. <laughs> uh, but this video work will also include like a lot of the other things like a witch who did a spell for me and then I started to attract like the type of man that I had written in my manifestations, etc, etc. And then another work called And Leave the Rest will be all the parts of the readings which were either inaccurate or didn't come to pass within the time frame. An offshoot of this was that I began a YouTube project, Lunar Water Tarot, using an alter ego, Alaris, which is my middle name and my old tarot reading name, to investigate intersections between true experience, constructed encounter and embellished recollection. As I said, I worked as a professional tarot reader in the past, as well as a burlesque performer. And I draw on all of this to present genuine divinations that are laced with fictitious narratives, as well as reenactments of the personal readings from the psychics I consulted about my love life. This research ended up crossing a boundary into my career. After a few of the psychics advised I should be doing tarot as a part-time career during lockdown, as well as my art practice. So I started up an Etsy store, which is where a lot of this online kind of psychic community are living for some reason. Um, and it's been super successful financially and made up for all the work I lost during lockdown for tutoring that I would normally have been doing. It's now quite a major source of income, but the readings I give are obviously totally confidential and very separate from my artistic research into tarot. I did a radio episode titled The Voyage about lockdown in collaboration with several of the mystics of YouTube who I met through this research, alongside psychoanalysts, monks and self-care practitioners. And also Lima did a special sound piece who we mentioned earlier, who we met the, the night that we met. She's very into tarot as well. So I'd like to play some of the audio from this year of research now. The first excerpt is me having a reading with a psychic and her picking up on the fact that I'd made a deck of cards that drew on alchemy. So I'm already getting a message for you because of the way that the cards are having me shuffle them. It's like there's something very specific and very particular that, that you're needing to be doing. Not sure what it's in regard to yet, whether, I mean, it literally could be anything. It could be career, it could be love. Don't know yet what, but it, there's just that message coming through. All right. 
Are you a water sign? Pisces, Pisces moon. Okay, your moon is what is talking here. So the way I view your moon sign is that's your inner being. That's who you really are inside, especially when you're alone and you're not around people. So the person you are when you're alone and not around people, um, there is some kind of block going on with your finances slash career. Are you aware of this? My career usually goes quite well, but maybe could be better. Always could be better, but this is something else. It's like a missed opportunity or something that th this kind of does feel related to the there's something that you need to do kind of thing. It's something that you're missing out on because you're not doing it. You're going to look back on it and go, oh, I'm really glad I put my energy into that because look what it created. So they're, they're wanting you to harness into your creative energies right now, whatever that might be. It has like this alchemy kind of vibe to it. They want you to like transform matter from emotion to money. Sounds pretty good to me. <clears throat> okay. um, I think... So sometimes I speak before that cards come out and I think I said these next cards, but I do want to be sure that I'm not missing anything with this Ace of Cups. Literally not missing anything. So the, again, they're, they're reminding me there's something that you are missing out on and I don't, they're not saying what it is. And I don't know if it's because I'm not able to pick up on it because it's something so weird. Or if it's because it's meant for you to pick up on it. But again, I'm just going to set that to the side and see if it comes up again. It's something for you to take note of for sure, though, about, you know, there's something I'm missing out on. It To me, it feels like it's something that you completely forgot about. But that it, it's something that you're already supposed to have been doing or have out there. Like, to me, it kind of feels like a product. So it's like something that. It feels like Oracle deck or something. I don't know what you do, but if you do something creative and you and you, I, I've made. You made an Oracle deck. I made a tarot deck. Oh, a tarot deck. Is it already out? Yeah, it's an alchemical tarot deck actually, but it's like a small oh. artist. It's yeah, it's a small run of artists like editions, but I use it in like my work as well. Career wise, um, I don't always know what you're doing. Um, I just feel certain things, but like I say, I'm drawn to self-employment with you, but it's coming out with you that you've got this lovely kind of caring, healing energy about you. Even natural healing, mm -hmm. you know, you could be very good at. Okay. I feel like, you know, you should stay focused on your uh, artistic side because yeah. I'm a big believer when you, you've got that, you need to do something with you actually not feeling fulfilled. Yeah. Um, so carry on with that. But I do also feel like you should follow your spiritual side and do something more with that. Yeah. Because I feel like it will bring balance in. And when I say balance, I mean, like, say, if your artist side goes quiet, you've always got your yeah. intuitive side to back you up and keep you going. Yeah. And the, the funniest thing is you could find eventually that your, your spiritual side could take over everything so <laughs> yeah. to create more security. Um, but then, you know, your, your artistic side will still carry on and you might have some 
good things that give you big lump sums of money in the future. Yeah. But the, 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 the healing side just keeps everything yeah. drifting along quite nicely. Yeah. Um, so let's have a look at let's have a look at your artist, artistic side. Yeah, it's it's telling you to put passion in that. It shows that you love it. Uh, it brings you a lot of joy. So yeah, definitely keep on with that. Yeah. Um, but I do get the feeling you ought to go a bit more um, um, technology with it. The second excerpt is me doing one of my Lunar Water Tarot YouTube performances. These performances pastiche online fortune telling, which is a world of perfect fake nails, comforting vocal tones, big smiles and solidarity with undertones of female sexuality. Some of the internet viewers, online tarot readers and even those that know my practice well did take the video seriously, although they're clearly like a pastiche of this. Um, I think this is because they do contain some genuine moments of divination with unplanned card pulls somehow always reinforcing the narrative I planned out. And you can see me reacting to that being like, what the fuck, uh, when I pull or when cards fly out that look, literally kind of back up what I've been saying or say I had like 10 death cards already lined out and then like one more flies out when I do it. You know, it's like quite intense. Um, so... It's obviously intended to show the constructed element of the genre that it investigates, and I'm very interested in discourse genres, um, and this kind of plays out within it. But, you know, people still found meaning within that. And for me, that's perfect because I feel like in my work, I'm always kind of investigating that whether or not something is real or constructed, it's still possible to find resonance within it. It's really about faith and belief. Um, and, also another interesting aspect of this is that I would set up these kind of narratives within these these performances but then because of the nature of the giant crystal ball that is the internet you know things spread very fast and then other readers would start incorporating my specific phrases like I did something about how dirt gets into an oyster shell and like this is like something beautiful accumulates through this kind of trauma and then a, a reader literally like the next day did a whole like spiel about this using my stuff and I'm going to play now like the second clip is me doing that the third is the reader who then kind of took that and used it within her work and for me that's the moment when the work actually becomes an interesting artwork it's when it's kind of always when my projects break out of themselves and lose control slightly uh, that they become interesting to me as the medium enmeshes itself and then this snake begins to eat its own tail. So yeah, let's hear some of those audio clips now. So now let's move on. Let's go ahead and move along to pile number two. Hi, pile two. Thanks for joining me today, beautiful pile twos. Now you were attracted to this um, this oyster shell. This is actually a souvenir from a romantic meal I had with a lover. Um, to me, the oyster, mm, it's all about luxury, isn't it, the oyster? Sexuality. Um, it can also sort of signify to me that you might like this kind of lifestyle. These surface things of wealth and seduction. I don't know, I'm just getting this kind of slightly um, materialistic aspect for you. But as well as that, you know, and don't be triggered, please um, take what resonates. But also, you know, if you think of the oyster shell, um, a tiny particle of dirt enters the oyster 
and this then forms into a beautiful pearl. So for me, this is all about a process of um, taking an impurity or a negative or any kind of um, base element and from it something beautiful forming. So it reminds me of Kunsagi, that beautiful Japanese pottery, you know, where they repair it with the gold, um, where your breaks, you know, the, the points where you, you have breaks in your personality or you have wounds in your personality, this is where the light can enter. This is where beauty can be found in, in perfection. So, you know, a pearl is a, is a wonderful example of finding beauty in imperfection. So, you know, something to do with maybe the surface for this, for this pile, but also something to do with some kind of trauma that has led to something beautiful for you. So I don't know how that resonates. You know, you let me know in the description box below, but that's just my initial thoughts. If you've been here before, you know that I reset the deck between every reading. I do that by dealing the cards into four piles. Then I bring them back together and I give them a good shuffle. I like to close down any energy from any previous reading so that we can be certain every single card that comes out is looking into the question, have they moved on? In this pick a card, tarot card reading. So if you're looking for a quick reading, you won't get that here. I do it as though you're sat here with me. Um, I've been reading tarot cards since 1996. I've only recently started making videos. I try and do it in a way that I would do it if you were here with me. Um, so it's not scripted. I don't know where it's going to go. Sometimes I can jump around, pick up different things as we go. So please bear with me. I pick up what I pick up. I see what I see. And I say what I see. So have they moved on? I'm looking at the T, I'm looking at the K, maybe it's someone who's Katie, I don't know. You may know what them initials mean to you, maybe as the cards come out we'll find out what it is. It's almost like we have a white stone and it's it's got all these grey lines through and it's like, you know, when sometimes we have an argument we can't unsay what was said cracks there sometimes things are more beautiful like in um i think it's japan they repair cracks with gold was it another asian country but that's to make it more beautiful to make it so that it's more wonderful you have like within yourself you were meant to meet this person so yeah, I recently combined several strands of my practice investigating online fortune telling within an exhibition, Moving Oracles, in Berlin. The exhibition featured works from myself and an artist, Gertrude Gillette. It was curated by Johanna Janssen and took place within a van that toured various locations in Berlin over a weekend in July last month. I had a sort of immersive intergalactic planet portal installation in the back of the van with a lot of earth. Um, I had my deck of tarot next to me as I lay pretending to be asleep, enacting something I do often at home, lying in bed and occasionally waking up to anxiously read my own tarot. It's also incredibly voyeuristic and sexualized as a lot of online fortune telling sites can be, some of which are operated by the same people who run big porn sites with a similar operating model of live cams that go to private chats. And I think it says something like, let's like do you want to have some pr fun in the private chat so it's like it literally looks exactly the same as well as the porn site that the person owns it's very interesting i'm going to make work about it 
Anyhow, um, visitors were invited to leave a written question within this van, um, within my earth, as a kind of ritualized offering within this participatory installation in the back of this van. And then in the weeks following the exhibition, I sent them audio tarot readings um, to answer the questions that they had left me. There was an exterior text work on the van by Gertrude, which was a quote taken from an online psychic as part of an earlier project of hers, which read, the end of secrets, no more secrets, that's where I see everything going. And I think she asked, like, what was, what was going to be the state of the world or something. Um, she also had this affirmative audio work playing within the van's radio, which relates to law of attraction and manifestation techniques. There were some very strange personal synchronicities within this project. By total chance, Johanna scheduled the exhibition in Berlin on my birthday, which is the 25th of July, which was also when I started my online fortune telling research last year and the kind of end point for that. And the 25th of July was also the two year anniversary of Gertrude starting her project as well as her project's end date. Gertrude started this sort of daily Instagram manifestational performance called Successful Art Project, having never had a show with the intention that she would end up, you know, getting a show. Um, and she would stop when she, when she managed to get her solo show. Um, she began her project as totally skeptical, but when we met in Berlin, she said she couldn't discount the effects of her doing this. Um, and actually, she stopped her project two years afterwards after not only securing a solo show, but actually something much, much better, which I won't go into because I don't know if it's public knowledge, but she managed to get a huge manifestation just solely from that project and someone seeing it on Instagram. So let's hear a brief extract of Gertrude's audio, which played from the van's radio for Moving Oracles now. I am optimistic. I perceive other people as unbelievably great as well. I am unbelievably I am accountable. I am active. I am responsible. I am taking an active part. I am making decisions based on love. My every decision is based on love and not on fear. I feel grounded. I feel amazing. 
We should acknowledge that we're mostly talking about women and their work within the tarot uh, or these kinds of um, manifestations. And you also mentioned that troubling link to sexualization of a lot of the online tarot world. And earlier we, I mentioned the uh, male gaze. So part of my research was to try, to try to understand where the imagery came from originally and why women were depicted in certain cards and not others. So you mentioned this idea that we're all supposed to have within us this, like, this male or female energy, um, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But, uh, but like I said, once you, once you put a figure, an illustration in, it naturally excludes people. So uh, it, it's more about embodying uh, female and masculine energies than it is about depicting them. So uh, the origins of the tarot cards are illustrations of Christian ideals and were used as a part, it was origin, the cards were originally used as a parlor game called tarocco and nothing to do with divination. So the cards that are most recognizable, the major arcana, are suit of trumps. And often women were used to illustrate ideals such as strength, judgment and temperance. And in a way that's meant to ignite male desire and encourage them to behave a certain way. Um, that's because these cards were generally designed for the use of men. However, it tends to be women who have played and used cards for divination. So I really wanted to take back control of the imagery and undermine that male gaze and also consider the role of the female body as well as how intersectional feminist politics can be a subversive power for change. Um, and also recognizing that there's been this huge uptake in tarot. So obviously you've been using tarot for a really, really long time, much longer than I have. But my interest in it began in the sort of early 2000s, so quite a long time before it became very popular. So, um, so yeah, thinking about that, uh, Dr. Edwin Kumisaro is an art historian who wrote a piece for Burlington Contemporary last year in which he explores the association between women and magic. And the text is centred around my work, but I've selected some extracts that speak more generally about tarot in this moment in British politics and in relationship to apophenia, I quote, it dissolves the division between rationality from irrationality, challenging the logic that we are born either to rule or be ruled. Kumasaro reflects on speculative ideas of feminist or queer time, which challenge enlightenment narratives of liberal progression, which have long been used to justify empire and oppression. He goes on to say that, in 2018, BBC News warned that the UK was in the midst of a tarot revival thanks to Brexit. Such an upsurge in supernaturalism, however, predicated the referendum. In the aftermath of the 2007-8 financial crisis and the brutal government austerity cuts to welfare state from 2010, which hit women and people of colour the hardest. An interest in magical practices such as crystal healing developed in a climate of precarious employment, falling wages and declining social security. The far right also turned to occult images, sharing satanic videos online, while anti-racist artists such as the poet and trans activist Nat Raha took up the language of spells to critique the role of enlightenment science and imperialism in histories of oppression. Recent books include Gina Rippon's The Gendered Brain, 2019, and Angela Sayani's Superior, 2019, argue that science has been profoundly shaped by prejudice, power and projection. He further explains that there are resonances with psychoanalysis. The experience of trauma can often shatter understandings of time, 
as the past reoccurs and repeats in the present. New stories about one's life must be produced for a subject to work through trauma, a process that may also occur during tarot readings. Interest in the occult has been a recurring feature across the history of feminism, but the current wave offers speculative possibilities of our contemporary moment. There's actually a really weird and interesting thing that's going on in the online tarot community and spiritual community at the moment that I'm investigating because a lot of my research is also into conspiracy theories and cults and stuff. That's like another strand. But all of these tarot readers are getting into QAnon because, which is this like, this um, conspiracy thing that started on 4chan which is all about like pizza gay and it's pro-Trump it's like quite terrifying but it's using spiritual terminology like the great awakening Mm -hmm. um, you know enlightenment to kind of like get people suck people in but also because like I think a lot of the spiritual community see themselves as kind of outside and they see this kind of very polarized thing of like light and darkness it's very easy for them to get into sucked into these things that are kind of like presenting these dualities Mm -hmm. it's a really weird interesting twist that's going on and I'm actually doing what like a big like a YouTube star tarot reader who I'm friends with who's one of the ones who's super accurate I'm going on her channel to actually talk to her talk with her about this phenomenon because she's also like what the hell is going on (laughs) like we're both just like watching this these two weird like internet phenomenons combine it's just very interesting anyway uh you were also kind of speaking about spirituality as a form of self-care and as a means of containing our anxieties to try and give a sense of control and i think yeah the attraction of having your horoscope or birth chart compiled is not dissimilar to psychoanalysis where you can discover your innermost attributes and aspects you must work upon that could cause difficulties. However, within my own tarot deck, which I made in collaboration with my father, he wrote the guide. Um, He is a psychoanalyst and psychiatrist, and he's also like an astro traveler, but that's another thing. Um, But he gives us explicit warning that the accompanying guide must be considered play, not therapy, and that there's a potential for disillusionment and falsehood, as well as truth and enlightenment, and also the potential for harm if tarot is used as an analytical tool within the wrong hands so that's kind of worth saying we when um edwin wrote that piece uh, about my show we also did a talk at bossenbaum gallery and we talked about the the role of the of the reader and their responsibility because they we are untrained in if you start to read the cards in that way as as a serious form of psychoanalysis or um Uh, it's very irresponsible way of going about it I have to say I mean I say on all of my things like this is does not replace like um psychoanalysis like trained therapy therapy. and uh, often like the youtube tarot readers have like suicide prevention lines Mm. as their first thing because it is filling this gap for people as like a almost like cheaper analysis absolutely so this is kind of a a darker side of it that is like definitely worth mentioning and it's what I'm kind of exploring with my deck with my father who's a psychoanalyst um it's also going back to this idea of interpretation and power and being in a powerful position it's not yeah. just that the women or people have been suppressed and people who use this stuff but that also those that use it are in this powerful position over other people who want it mm, yes exactly um In relation to my performance within the Lunar Water Projects and what we were saying about like sexuality and things, there's a quote from Judith Butler's Gender Trouble, Feminism and the Subversions of Identity that I feel is appropriate. 
Woman herself is a term in process, a becoming, a constructing that cannot rightfully be said to originate or to end as an ongoing discursive practice. It is open to invention and resignification. Um, you know, the lunar water installations I do are uncanny and visually beautiful, and I am this fantasy element in a sleek negligee, perfectly poised and waiting for the viewer to arrive and see me sort of sleep, trapped in time waiting for answers like Dorothy dreaming her fantasy of Oz or Sleeping Beauty waiting to be kissed. Um, and I actually performed in this way for a two-week duration the first time I showed the work within 10 tons of wet earth growing fungal spores for five hours a day and I was literally like constantly always looking attractive asleep and it reminded me of when I was younger and I used to like wait for my dates to turn up like looking perfect and maybe they would or maybe they wouldn't you know um, but it's this idea of this private moment sort of made public and also this idea of the artist creating this universe for people to experience um, like we're dreaming a world into being for them. But it's also this idea of the, the tension between showmanship and shamanship. I was the crone at the end of the pier, performing fortune-telling for the chosen few if I decided to wake up, or seductively ignoring the rest. And I feel like I'm very much playing with certain stereotypes and aspects of self within this project as a way of gaining control and the power lines that are drawn in this kind of performer-audience relationship. Um, as you mentioned, the history of tarot is complex. Its symbols actually have an alchemical origin, which obviously predates Christianity, but it was also co-opted in a kind of, it was first played in the way that you say as a game. Um, astrology has a similarly complex history. Uh, at one time, it was enmeshed within Christian belief and then split away from it. However, it too began as a deeply patriarchal practice, and historically it was women who practiced astrology who were tried for witchcraft, even though the leading astrologers were predominantly male. I did a radio episode relating to this entitled Ephusius, which is named after the forgotten 13th Babylonian star sign, um, in which I looked out at the cosmos through the lens of intersectional feminism. And the episode was in collaboration with Andrea Shortel, who works within feminist activism with an emphasis on self-care practices. Today, astrology and spirituality are gaining this kind of huge popularity among women and those who identify as queer, as it offers this kind of alternative system to uh, you know, a system that no longer seems to be working, especially for those who may feel marginalized or betrayed by convention. By reclaiming the celestial bodies that were co-opted by patriarchy, within this astrological history, we can begin to question the arranged order and break out of predefined social norms, where in the beginnings of astrology, people utilized the position of the planets in order to avoid sort of bad fortune. For example, they would only cut their hair or bathe or name babies on certain moon phases. Today, many practice astrology in order to manifest what they desire and empower themselves. Thus, a shift has occurred from passive audience to active participant. Um, for example, we need only think of recent Instagram posts by Shani Nichols warning everyone it's going to be a Mercury retrograde around the time of the upcoming US elections and urging people to, I quote, flood Twitter timelines with demands for concrete details on an action plan to combat mail-in voter suppression and get involved in an organization working against voter suppression. There's also a nice quote from Olivia Plender's note from the other side, 
I quote, spiritualism has been associated with social protest and was entwined both in the anti-slavery movement and the campaign for women's suffrage. The notorious spiritualist Victoria Woodhull was famous for giving a speech in Congress in which she laid out the constitutional reasons why women should be given the vote. The role of the medium provided a unique situation in which people without a voice, such as women, could give political speeches without being seen to transgress social boundaries in the guise of channeling a spirit. So it kind of has, you know, it has another side of it as well. Um, I think Bell Hooks writes beautifully about aspects of spirituality within her seminal 2001 work, All About Love. I quote, Spiritual life is first and foremost about commitment to a way of thinking and behaving that honours principles of interbeing and interconnectedness. I refer to the recognition within everyone that there is a place of mystery in our lives where forces that are beyond human desire or will alter circumstances and or guide and direct us. And there's a quote from The Reenchantment of Art by Susie Gablick, which was published in 1991. I quote, Reenchantment refers to that change in the general societal mood towards a pragmatic idealism and a more integrated value system that brings head and heart together in an ethic of care as a part of healing of the world. Drawing on that role of uh, esoteric modes of thinking in relationship to care and social and political form, and this word that you use, interconnectedness. Um, the great crisis of today is, of course, our connection to the natural world. And um, I mean, I don't mean that in a spiritual way, although the spiritual way would help the um, physical, practical problems. Um, I, found, I find that with tarot, it repeatedly directs attention to your relationship to the core elements of fire, water, air and earth as well as to this idea of rebirth and transformation. And it's in that that there is so much hope. And I'm constantly reminded of Barbara Walker's belief that the four elements were identified as key because they were the four main ways that the corporal body is recycled or enters back into the cosmos after death. Um, so like you might be disposed at sea, so the water, or um, in the fire, for example, and so on, or, or buried under the earth, or broken up by the wind in by the birds, I think she says. Mm. Um, so I'm currently reading and making new work about the cultural heritage of gardens and uh, the kind of I'm thinking about domestic gardens as a sort of microcosm of the larger landscape and their architectural motifs and as tools for spiritual transformation, healing, meditation, pilgrimage. Um, so th there's a lot of potential within that to reconnect us with nature. Uh, uh, with the domestic garden to reconnect us with nature. And I'm really interested in the use of labyrinths, for example, as tools for meditation that can take you on a spiritual pilgrimage without having to literally travel. Um, it strikes me that the tools that you and I are using are very domestic and that scale can be approached, or way of thinking can be approached to deal with some of the larger, bigger problems of the world. So when we talk about the giant cosmos, and our need to make sense and order of it through patterns, we're doing this in this immediate domestic way. And uh, we should use that same approach to the issues of climate and our relationship to nature or um, social reform. Um, so to bring it back to more personal healing, a fundamental aspect of the garden is water and with that it's decorative fountains or need for irrigation for things to blossom. And water is always connected with the feminine in occult philosophy. 
um, which kind of comes back to this idea of women in relationship to magic and um, tarot and so on. So um, I really love this uh, Ital Colhoun's description of cups in tarot as a way of thinking through its physicality um, and it, water's physicality in relationship to our personal behaviour. So she says in um, the book, The Magical Writings of Ithel Colhoun, in occult philosophy, the term water is used in a feminine sense and in its metaphysical meaning, it signifies the world, substance, primordial matter in its first stages of development. Water in its cosmological aspects is the ra radiant essence which curdles and spreads throughout the depths of space, forming an astronomical point of view, the Milky Way. The magic cup is a receptacle into which the influences from higher spheres are constantly pouring. It is also a mirror in which are reflected the realities of the higher worlds. In order that one might be able to see clearly and correctly in this mirror, one must exercise absolute control over one's thoughts, passions and emotions, lest they may ruffle the surface of the water in the cup and break the reflected images. Um, the symbolism of the forces of nature also inspired a recent um, body of work around that I've made around 7th to 6th century BC goddess idols. These little figurines have bodies shaped like bells and their legs are freely hanging like the dongs of bells. Um, but they were thought to be used for burials to signify the forces of nature and natural cycles. And I've been making a series of bells based on these for the past few years um, and recently have started to use them to make music or soundscapes. In my versions, they're dressed in helmets, necklaces and masks and are holding various symbols, crystal balls, snakes, hairs and other emblems. Each one refers to and accompanies my wider research. And through these forms, I also explore empowered female figures. The sound piece was originally conceived to accompany a live performance in Northern Ireland in collaboration with the local-based Echo Echo Dance Company on the Derry City Walls and Walker Plinth in 2019. The piece explored the dualism of repelling and attracting, taking the transformation of the city walls from defensive architecture to tourist attraction as the starting point. Likewise, bells historically both repel and attract and are worn to fend off evil spirits and simultaneously denote the time of worship, therefore bringing people to them. So here's Sonic Arrangements in the Infinite Fill from 2019. So you mentioned the domestic garden and the four elements. Today, it's actually not uncommon for people to tend their gardens based on moon cycles, plan in accordance with the planetary transits or write new moon intentions. So they are in fact engaging with ancient pagan traditions that correlate with witchcraft in this kind of domesticated fashion. Um, there is still this link between astrology and other forms of spirituality and magic. And in this rhythmic way, astrology and magic with a K are being utilized by a generation of mystic millennials. Um, I do have a strand in my practice that's linked to the element of water also, and it's very important. It's um, in particular, it links to wells and the well hexagram of the I Ching. Ultimately, this strand of work is about faith as well as questioning whether a polluted source could ever nourish. Um, with the well as a metaphor for the internal world and our relationship to our inner source. 
The core of the work is drawn from my intimate observations of group behaviors and practices of various spiritual, religious, and psychedelic groups, healers, and current and ex-members of the types of groups some may refer to as cults. I nearly got sucked into Scientology. I do really get into my research. Um, anyway, it kind of blends the natural and the supernatural and asks the viewer to take a leap of faith to follow me through this labyrinthine structure of sculpture, social performance, and constructed narrative, which will open the door to possible enlightenment or potential disillusionment. And it, water is really used in this body of work to explore themes of things that are transformed, transfigured, and changed by this kind of liquid or organic matter. However, not without a sinister undertone, so within the kind of forms and actions come ideas of unreliable narrators, group illusions, delusions, and fictive experiences. You know, the whole idea of drinking the Kool-Aid in order to find enlightenment. I think there's this idea of like a tainted beauty or toxicity and an imbalance between reality and fiction, which keeps the viewer poised between the imagined effect and debunked dream but to question too closely whether the whole experience is real or unreal kind of misses the point, which is the experience and however it plays out for the individual. Whether a poison chalice can sustain, and if so, if it can sustain something pure. I've also explored notions of the thonic within my work. Within Lunar Water, I was exploring these synchronistic elements and their link to tarot readings and apathenia. So finding signs and meanings within things. But this show was also exploring notions of the earth bed. So I created my own kind of moon landing and my own lunar surface out of 10 tons of soil. And I lay there sort of affecting sleep, as I mentioned. The experience could be very magical for the audience who I may or may not have woken up for to give a tarot reading, or it could be just this highly constructed set that they entered, you know, or somewhere in between, depending on how they experience the work and their prior beliefs. You know, artworks really are just mirrors reflecting our beliefs back to us in this regard. We view things in an active way that's informed by our prior experiences and a plethora of socio-cultural information. But I've always been interested in kind of dirt and earth in terms of you know these ideas and ideas around creation and you know the idea of how there can be this kind of rotted substrate of all that's come before that we can kind of draw on you know dirt can speak of death passing time derision but it can also be this kind of earth bed of genesis fertile ground sacred ground we wish to stand upon as artists and substrate into which planted seed can germinate and grow, which is also a nice kind of metaphor if you think about manifestation, where people are often like, you've got to plant positive thoughts and allow them to grow and weed out the negative ideas in your brain. Um, you know, psychologically, dirt can also be understood as factors that are rejected by the self or ego and that lead us into the territory of the archetype of the shadow in Jungian terms. This also links to the blackening phase within alchemy, which is, you know, this idea of the dung heap of regeneration, the deepening descent into the unconscious, which gives way to the illumination from above. And one of the images within my tarot deck shows this phase of the alchemical nigrado within the temperance card, where flowers are springing from these, the alchemical dung heap. So that's why I had this kind of lunar surface made out of earth. 
Um, but yes, I'm very interested in these paired dualities and the idea of elemental forces in opposition. It's very much at the core of alchemy from where the tarot originates. Um, there's a quote from the Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of Earth by Monica Hsu and Barbara Moore, published in 1987 that I'd like to read now. This excerpt has been hugely influential within my practice. She is the dark night and the black soil that holds within itself the intense power of light, the secrets and forces of all life. She is the mouth, the vagina, the passionate and wise source from which all comes and which all returns. Later it continues. Recent experiments conducted in caves suggest that conditions for ESP, telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, are more favourable in an underground environment. Perhaps the moist earth wholly surrounding the caverns dampens the electromagnetic radiation with which the brain is normally bombarded, allowing the psyche to receive other trans-dimensional radiations. The oldest branch of alchemy was concerned to bring about early paradise through the fruitful union of cosmic and terrestrial forces. Alchemy, geomancy, astrology were originally united in the system of recognized correspondences between planetary influences and the spirits of Earth's metals. What we have left of alchemy, in addition to the modern chemistry, are its symbols of psychic death, change and rebirth through the process of alternating fusion and dissolution of opposite elements. This is the psychic rite and earth spirit ritual retaining much of the ancient goddess mysteries in distilled form within each individual psyche. The tarot cards also retain a pictorial record of these ancient rites of transformation and their process symbols. With the tarot deck that I made for Lunar Water, which is called the Major Arcana Alchemical Tarot, I reinterpreted alchemical illustrations. The guide was written in collaboration with my father, a Jungian psychoanalyst and psychiatrist. It expresses the traditional divinatory meanings through the lens of Jung's alchemical understanding, relating it to the development of the psyche and the process of individuation. Some symbols in the tarot and alchemy share a metaphysical origin, um, and for Jung, the alchemical texts were part of mankind's arcane attempt to understand their inner psychic world and the process of growth and development. Maybe here we should both pull a card from our decks to see what the rest of 2020 may have in store for our listeners. So your one is going to fly out for you? I want it to fly out, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can do it however. Well, when I just do one, I just pull one. Okay, just pull one. I'm not, I mean, I... Do how is good for you. <laughs> okay, I've just pulled one out. One's come out for me. What did you get? I got lightning. What's that? Strength? No, lightning. Oh, uh, sorry. It's, um, <laughs> sorry. Right. No, it's just lightning. What's lightning? <laughs> um, it's, it would be similar to the tower card. Um, it has oh. in some decks always been called lightning. 
I guess that makes sense because it's like the cosmic thunderbolt. Basically, the reason that I call it lightning and the reason that it is in some decks is because it depends whether the focus is on the thing that it's toppling over or the thing that's coming in. Right. So my focus when I read from this card is to do with the lightning itself, the the cause, not the effect. So I would say that this pulling this card, which is usually considered dramatic change, massive shift... Um, but the focus for me is always about this external source, something completely uncontrollable to humankind, n- a natural cause. I mean, it's almost like it's reading backwards. Could anything else happen? Well, Another natural... I got the Empress in reverse, which is all about, like, the nurturing. It's like the, the flip side. It's like the shadow side of the archetypal feminine energy of, like, the mother the kind of natural world, these sort of things. So in reverse, it would kind of warn of uh, troubling kind of natural events or some kind of, um, yeah, over-nurturing perhaps. It could We could read this maybe as like we're being over, over-nurtured by external forces. <laughs> I, mine was also in reverse and I hadn't, uh, I didn't actually... I explain like that the way that I read when I read mine in reverse is like lit, quite literally from the top down now yeah the snake which I have at the bottom of my lightning card which is sometimes so so basically the the origins of the snake and the lightning card is to do with the um Native American snake dance mm. being a way of bringing on the lightning mm. so um the snake a symbol of transformation and rebirth yes and so therefore yours and mine yeah. coming together yeah. this idea of rebirth yes. and where we're going next following on from some kind of natural intervention, intervention. yeah I would read it like that yeah yeah <laughs> I like that but there's some kind of like over nurturing though that is not that's in a, in a negative you're context. saying it's negative well with the empress reverse mm. that's almost like like why do you feel the need to give you know sometimes when you give to a situation it's it's a method of control mm-hmm. um it's like why do you feel the need to be in the position of over giving is it because you're avoiding giving to yourself mm-hmm. it's easier to give to an external thing than to give to yourself so it's about like nourishment and how even how we're like nourishing ourselves through thoughts we think things we read i think this is to do with like the current narrative maybe that's being told to us as the kind of um narrative of care or something Mm -hmm. there's something Mm -hmm. in that that is like out of balance almost and it becomes a control mechanism rather than a care mechanism there's something in that well the other way that i look at cards that are in reverse so depending on where it is in my reading um it is also to do with looking at the looking at a problem or an issue or a feeling from outside of yourself so seeing another perspective so not necessarily so you're you're talking about it having that negative quality whereas I always see it as something that you need to address from as if you weren't seeing it for yourself yeah if you were some somebody else's eyes yeah so that sort of plays into this idea of um maybe um uh, or like collaborating with other people to in order to understand a situation outside of your own comfort so this idea of like being too having been too too much of a nurturing role or something needing to um collaborate to come kind of come out of it 
the Empress is all like Mother Earth mm -hmm. kind of energy, like the natural, you know, things we were saying, really the phonic. It could be that that it, like needs to be more of an emphasis on that. You could read it both ways mm -hmm. in the reverse, mm -hmm. I would say. <laughs> I th don't feel like my my my. I would walk away from it feeling reasonably prom a real a sense of promise. Although, what are we trying not to... Because whenever the tower comes up reverse for me, I'm like, there's something you're not letting go of that you need to ah, let go of. yes, you're holding it. You're stopping it from falling you're over. You're stopping. It's almost like when the tower's reversed, it's like there's radical change that needs to happen, but it's like not yes, being I, incorporated. Yeah, it depends where, I, where it is in my reading, but often it will, well, I'll talk about fear of letting go of something. Yeah. 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 I suppose in a way the status quo... Maybe there's a fear of letting go of like the control mm. of, of like this idea that we can't... Because the Empress is all about she manifests her reality. She is able to like maintain beauty and plenty. And it's almost like maybe everyone has this fear that they've lost the control of the ability to like order their lives and create what they want for themselves and like create this harvest for themselves like they're no longer I'd say that let's go with that interpretation for me <laughs> that it's like we feel like we're we're no longer able to to like to produce to have agency over the life as we want it at the moment and we're like resisting the fact that we are powerless in some way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay and I will take away this idea of the snake and rebirth and transformation nice in a hope yeah, a hopeful ending. Okay, good. <laughs> nice. Um, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you. Do you have any shows coming up you want to say? And also, like, how people can see more of your work. I'll post some images. But so on my website, um, and um, I am currently working on a new project which has been delayed quite dramatically, but uh, will hopefully. I do have some project-based shows coming up towards the end of this year. Well, um, it's all kind of dates are undecided. Cool. Uh, what's your website? My name, CandidaPowerWilliams.com. Cool. You've been listening to The Silver Stream on Soho Radio. I'm creator and host, Byzantia Harlow, and for today's episode, Apathenia, I was joined by guest collaborator, artist, Candida Powell-Williams. That's all we've got time for for today's episode, but I'll be back for episode 13 on the 21st of September, uh, so tune in then at 6pm on the Culture Channel. Thanks again, Candida, and to all those who tuned in. See you next time.